Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 11th, 2022. This is episode 347. My name is Scott Magnus. I'm Bob Fallon. And that's right. Um, Scott and Jake continue to cross like ships in the night. Mm. Bob Fallon from the amazing podcast of BSL On The Verge has been kind enough to lend us a hand. Bob, thanks so much for joining us, by the way. Oh, no, it was a pleasure to be asked, and I listen to the show every week, so glad to be here. Well, like I said, you will not have to listen a second time. Uh, We will not inundate you with that kind of pain. Um, But (laughs) on this week's show, we're going to conduct an exercise of weighing the heart a little bit, just like the ancient Egyptians. Um, And we're also going to discuss a little bit if we believe. Um, But we're going to do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. So, Bob, I know you're very familiar with the, the weekly segment of Drink of the Week, what are you imbibing on this week um, and enjoying as we kind of close out August? Well, it's not as fun as probably what you're imbibing right now, but I just got finished cutting the grass before I hopped on here, so I'm drinking a nice glass of ice water. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, on occasion, I will um, you know, have a drink after cutting grass, and it, normally it's a session IPA, which I kind of consider to be almost like ice water at this point. Um, and again, I'm going still in this kind of hazy IPA ta- territory right now. So I'm doing a, a Langanitas hazy IPA this evening. Um, also, actually, had one recently this week. Um, it's from Trogues. It's a cranberry blood orange sour ale, um, but not too tart. A kind of a nice one. Um, and again, you know, one that uh, is right up the street in Hershey. Um, and like I said, give it a shot if you're interested in experimenting with sour ales, but nothing you know too sour um, on it. So if you want to know. Uh, what we are drinking on a weekly basis, you can check out me on Untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. Bob, do you have uh, an Untapped profile by chance? I don't, but you can text me if you want to know what I'm drinking. If anytime. you want to know what Bob is drinking to watch, you know, uh, Delmarva play uh, in their infinite glory right now, uh, just just contact Bob. Is Bob Fielin, as best reported, um, at the Orioles report um, is the best way to put yeah, it. Definitely so. need some drinks to watch that Delmarva bullpen. Right I now. mean, Delmarva's a little rough, and like I said, if you if you uh, want to listen to uh, you know where there's some gaps in the farm system, um, Bob can clue you in on that on on BSL on the Verge. So let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitter. So um, we're going to start off with a tweet from Justin Fenton. Justin Fenton is a writer. Uh, for the Baltimore Banner after just leaving the Baltimore Sun. Um, definitely recommend shooting a subscription over the Baltimore Banner. Highly recommended kind of supporting local media, local news. Um, and again, you know, without the Baltimore Sun uh, uh, logo that's going to be up at Camden Yards for much longer, maybe the Baltimore Banner has an opportunity to come there. Um, but Justin goes as follows. I know they couldn't invite everyone, but simply AJ10 and Brady Anderson not being invited for Orioles 30th anniversary of Camden Yards just feels glaring. Bob, what were your impressions of kind of the 30th anniversary celebration on Saturday? Um, It was a cool idea. It was a weird mix of people. That's for sure. You got your Jay Gibbons. You got your Ubaldo Jimenez, but no Calrican. Just couldn't make it. (laughs) He sent his regards in a nice hazy video. You couldn't get Adam Jones. But you got Mike Messina, even though Adley Rushman stole his number. But yeah, it was a weird group. I mean, maybe they'll all be able to make it out for the 35th anniversary. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed seeing Mike, and I liked seeing Eddie also back as well. Um, I tell you the one that really, and again, it's not even a Camden Yards hero. It's the standpoint of it was great to see Brooks um, kind of talking to the players, talking about how he was watching the team. Um, and again, I remember that situation, you know, and it's not too far or long ago, um, where there was kind of this ostracization between Brooks and the team. And it's good to see that the team and Brooks continue to, in essence, have this relationship. Um, and, and Brooks is still coming back into the ballpark. Like I said, 
Um, certainly a Maryland treasure, um, and it's great to hear him uh, still being able to watch baseball on a nightly basis. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think it was Eddie and Brooks that talked to the team at one point, and that was a cool story, just hearing Brandon Hyde talk about it. And, yeah, it's it's never a bad thing to get the old guys back together and, and just reminisce about old times. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see the Hall of Famers. So um, another tweet came from the Orioles this week, and um, you can obviously follow them at Orioles. Um, but it's a picture and video of the Oriole bird waving that orange flag with a winky emoji. So, yeah, I mean, um, there's definitely been a lot of commentary from Bob Nightingale in regards to the Orioles waving the white flag with the trade deadline. It's good to see that the Orioles social media team continues to throw uh, the shade when shade is deserved is the best way to put it. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Bob Nightingale, he is a character. He he definitely has no problem putting some strong takes out there. And he said, what are the Orioles doing? Well, they're winning games. I mean, whether it's likely or not, it's just funny that he continues to be wrong. And in this case, we're more than happy for that to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like when Bob Nightingale says something, it's always the exact opposite of what is going to transpire. So I was really glad to see Bob Nightingale say that the Orioles season was over and that they had a white flag because I'm almost like, well, based off of transitory properties, uh, we're going to have success going forward. <laughs> so, so Bob, you know, I just want to stop for a second. You know, you know, obviously BSL on the verge um, talks about the farm system as a whole. Um, talks about the prospects coming up and everything like that. Uh, and this next tweet is kind of going to fall into that category of let's take a look what's down on the farm. Um, and it comes from Nicole Sherry, and it's our first harvest um, actually at Camden Yard. So we've got bullpen tomatoes once again um, in, in, in Oriole Park. So. Uh, not exactly kind of the farm system standpoint that you guys talk about at BSL on the Verge, but uh, yeah, really cool to see kind of a tradition come back. You know, for folks that don't know, um, tomatoes were actually grown in the bullpen at Memorial Stadium back in the day. Um, so this is kind of carrying on a tradition. And um, I will say um, it's some impressive shrubbery um, going on out there in the bullpen right now with that those, those, those tomato plants. Yeah, we've been mentioning, you know, these tomatoes since they were green coming up on our show. And now that they're finally here in the Major League bullpen, it's nice to see them play a role on this team. Absolutely. Now, if you would have to give this a a, a certain ranking, like whether it's 20 or 80 in the tomato scale, um, what are you thinking from a, from a ranking standpoint? It's a solid 60. You oh, know, see, uh, you, you, know. <laughs> you went high. Like I'm looking at I'm like, this looks like a class of like 55, but, you know, probably has like a floor of maybe a 40. Um, but again, I think it could make some really nice kind of, you know, it looks like a good beefsteak tomato, probably goes well on a burger to end the day. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'll be interested to see um, what other things grow from our farm system um, in the months ahead is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, no doubt. Could be some cucumbers, some carrots, you never know. And then, you know, the last thing I'm going to come back to uh, talk about this. This comes from Joe Paparato um, of the somewhat defunct OBP podcast, but also member of OBP Apparel. Highly recommend checking out OBP Apparel. They're putting out some pretty fire um, jerseys and shirts lately, um, and also um, a group that kind of helped create the Bird's Eye View logo back in the day. Um, and his tweet goes as follows. June 10th versus August 10th. So pa- Joe Pa has basically put the standings out there from June 10th. On June 10th, the Orioles were 24-35 and 35 with a 407 winning percentage. And then obviously, as of August 10th, the Orioles are now 58-52, and 52, with a 527 winning percentage. I mean, that is just mind-boggling to think about in just that quick, you know, two-month period, um, how much the Orioles um, have changed overnight in terms of being a winning team. You know, Bob, when I look at this and I think about that kind of change, you know, I know it wasn't as dramatic um, as, as we saw at this point, 
But I think back to the summer of 2012, and I think about that August and September period in 2012, and I think about, you know, the auras were, you know, right around 500 um, going into July. And I was just like, honestly, if we get a winning season, like, I'm going to be ecstatic. Um, and then they just caught fire in August and September um, and ended up getting a wild card spot. And we just, you know, lived Orioles magic, as it were. And I feel like to a certain regard, these past two months have kind of been that is the best way to describe it. Um, almost like when a certain prospect showed up for the Orioles, um, magical things started to happen. Yeah, I was going to say, did anything happen around June that might have sparked a resurgence here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adley Rutschman, I feel like, you know, it's it's been talked to death. He had a slow start, and he's been incredible ever since his first three weeks or so behind the plate. Even, like, he runs pretty well for a catcher. Obviously, he's walking almost as much as Juan Soto lately. Um, it's great to see, but it's not just him. I think it's just a collection of things, maybe a little bit of good luck, but... It, it's just cool to see. It's unfathomable. Coming into the season, I thought I was being optimistic, predicting 73 wins, and here we are looking at maybe 83 or more. I about to say, I think 73 wins would have basically put you into the the orange Kool-Aid category. I think I predicted 63, and I was just like, hopefully everything goes okay um, on that basis. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you, you talk about the aspect of Adley Rutschman coming up, and I think we all knew – um, you know, number one prospect within baseball, he's going to make some impact this year, but we weren't sure exactly what kind of impact. And I even think back to when he first came up, and like you said, he had that cold streak. You had people calling saying, maybe it's a possibility that we need to option down Norfolk just so he can get his grounding again. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you besides, like, you can look at his plate discipline and just know that he's going to put it together really darn soon. Um, and certainly he's kind of proven that out um, where no one is even fathoming thinking about you know, saying he needs a little additional seizing um, at this given point. So, but yeah, like I said, really, um, you know, fun two months um, and a lot of really interesting things going on right now with the team in terms of some of the winning streaks they're putting together and just how the team is being constructed. Um, so why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? We'll come back, go around the bases and we'll talk a little bit about the team construction. Uh, we'll talk a bit, a little bit about some of the trades that have been going occurring and just talk about you know what do we make of what's going forward um, as we enter into the later half of august all right so starting off off, off at first base um we're going to call this segment how much does the heart weigh? So obviously, you know, Bob and us were talking about the, the standpoint of, um, you know, waving the white flag. And we'll come back to the Bob Nightingale commentary. And that was made off the aspect of uh, Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez being traded. I think Orioles um, podcast, Orioles Twitter um, has, you know, basically talked ad nauseum about this. Um, but there has been this question of, you know, should the Orioles have been messing with anything at the majors right now? based off this kind of success for the past two months. And, and, and Bob, I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on this one, you know, being a fan and obviously being a content provider for about the Baltimore Orioles and the farm system. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it a situation where the Orioles, you know, need to be basically continuing to propagate out the farm system or is it a situation where they should have said, yeah, we're going to let this ride and just, you know, see what happens. You know, I would have understood if they decided to stand pat, especially with Jorge Lopez, who, you know, he had two and a half years of team yeah. control left, so you didn't have to trade him. And even Mancini, I mean, yeah, he'll be a free agent at the end of the season. That option will probably not be exercised on one side or the other. And But he's still, you know, he's a 
a good hitter. He'll he'll provide some value offensively. But at the same time, I'm kind of happy that Elias stuck to his guns here and just continued with the plan. Because, yeah, I do, even though the quote that he said about it's not a probability that this team will make the playoffs, which might sting to hear a little bit. I think it's kind of true. So um, I'm glad he stuck to his guns. And that's the whole thing. Like the Orioles fans hate this notion of like statistical probabilities. Like I think back to the 2012 season, I think back to 2013, 2014 and Pythagorean, you know, index came up all the time and people were just like, why are, you know, the national media so against the Orioles? Like they should be saying that this team is going to do great. Um, And it's just like, yeah, but like, the numbers, if we look at all of historical baseball, not just the Baltimore Orioles, um, you know, tell us that this is probably going to be the outcome. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. There's always deviation. Um, but it's like, you know, if we play this out under enough scenarios, it more than likely is going to happen. Um, but again, that's why we play sports is basically to see what happens. Um, and I think, you know, Buck has talked about this back in the day all the time. That's why we play the game. That's why the game is so exciting is because it's not predictable um, you know, we even thinking back to last year, uh, specifically in the NL West, who would have thought that the Giants would go neck to neck with the uh, the Dodgers and basically, you know, keep them keep them in check for most of the season. Um, but, yeah, just a really interesting standpoint to see um, how Baltimore fans have reacted to this whole scenario. Yeah, it really seems like it's almost like a political lie where you're either super pro Elias or super, super anti Elias. Why can't you just... <laughs> be somewhere in the middle i don't know but um that's actually a really good call out that's almost like political in nature where it's almost like if you post something and people confer or infer that you're basically going to one side or the other they will basically come and attack you on that basis it's like what just happened here like i just i made a comment like i'm not i'm not here to stand on either side it's almost the standpoint of like i get like you said both angles is the best way to put it like i understand why elias did what he did I also understand being a fan and being like, I want to do the best that's possible out there and not take away Trey Mancini. <laughs> right. And I do like that, you know, they got look, people complain that, oh, there's not enough pitching prospects in the system. Well, he traded from an area of two areas of strength in DH and relief pitcher and got six more arms that uh, could potentially be something down the line. And like I said, it's an area of strength. Now, Adley Rutschman can DH more when he's not catching. Taron Vavra can get in there and show his plate discipline and try to prove what he's got at the H and then in the bullpen. Yeah. You lose maybe your best or one of your best arms, but we've seen Felix Bautista, Felix coming. He's uh, he's the new closer and everyone just slides down a position. And I feel like there are guys in the minors still that could come up and fill a role in the bullpen. So it's not like he gutted the team or, uh, you know, waved the white flag as, as we've referenced, but you know, it, it hurts the team, but they've responded well. And I think that Elias was smart enough to know that I have a way to, you know, have my cake and eat it too a little bit here with uh, dealing from an area of strength. So I guess one of my questions is like, obviously, yes, the team gets, you know, hurt because Trey is certainly a, a, a good player. Like I said, I don't think he's the best position player out there whatsoever, but I would say he's probably, I'd say the fourth best hitter on the team is the best way to put it. So, I mean, that does hurt you in terms of, you know, a player that did really well with even an expected batting average and kind of got robbed a few instances. But again, as we talk about that, an expected batting average and even an expected OPS, you know, one thing that, you know, comes to light all the time is obviously Baltimore and specifically left field getting pushed back. And I guess the question I raise is, you know, with Trey now going to the Astros, this is kind of a win-win though, right? Like Trey gets to go to the Astros, gets to play, gets to have a shorter porch in left field. 
Um, and then he gets to go and, you know, still play for potentially a World Series contending team. Um, and the Orioles additionally get prospects back. And as you mentioned before, you know, maybe doesn't hurt them significantly. I mean, Dan Zabrowski came out with his kind of zip projections. He's just like, this maybe changes the projections for the Orioles by, you know, an eighth of a win is the best way to put it. So um, I guess my question is, like, is it is it unreasonable to say that, you know, both sides win in this equation with Trey and the Orioles to making this trade? I think it's a slam dunk that both sides win. I mean, never thought I'd root for the Astros again, but here we are. <laughs> uh, hope Trey can go get a, a ring. I think two of his home runs already would have been outs, or at least not home runs in Baltimore. And the Orioles, honestly, they got two pitching prospects that are more than I would have ever imagined they would have got for Trey Mancini. I would have expected a more an, uh, return less than Anthony Benintendi got from the Yankees. And we got a guy who, yeah, he's getting Tommy John surgery with Seth, Seth Johnson, but he will be our third best pitching prospect immediately. And we got another guy, Chase McDermott, who is racking up the strikeouts. If he can get his control under control <laughs> a little yeah. bit, then, uh, he will be at least a, a pretty good bullpen arm from what it looks like. So we got two pretty good arms there for a guy who's a free agent in two months. Yeah, it's almost a situation like if you look at the Mancini trading, even look at the Jorge Lopez trade, it's one of these situations where Orioles fans looked at it and said, but I want it now, like a Veruca Salt, <laughs> basically. And I understand that standpoint of like, I want prospects that are going to be able to immediately contribute as of 2023. I think we've seen the standpoint of like, even if 2022 work doesn't work out, fans are like, 2023 is going to be a very special year. And I think fans were saying, if I want to get somebody in, I want to see them contribute in 2023. Whereas in reality, it's going to be a situation where you've got to have a continually building farm system in order to be competitive in 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027. Um, And like you pointed out, you know, getting now the third best pitching prospect in your organization through a trade um, is well worth it. And again, I'm, I'm sure they're going to do additional trades in the future for additional pitchers. Um, based off of, like you posted today, six top players in the top 100 right now. Um, so it's just a question of, I think, when, not if, is the best way to put it, uh, and and seeing you know where it lines out. Also, seven of our top eight prospects are in AA or AAA, Correct. so you want to kind of backfill that because those guys will be up probably by mid-next year at the latest. Exactly. So again, you don't want to be going from the number one farm system down to you know i would say probably like if everyone graduated i what do you think like number 12 or 13 yeah i think that sounds right we have a deep system but those guys at the top are at uh, the top for a reason they're, and they're definitely top i mean it's the standpoint of like i don't think i go quite to the keith law territory of being top heavy but i would say that you know if you graduate people um it's pretty weird to see you know a number one prospect like adley graduate and then get Gunnar henderson to be the number one prospect again in baseball i mean I was actually wondering, did you guys ever like maybe look into that and say, how often has that ever happened before from a historical standpoint in baseball America history? It's not very often. And I, it's I can't never think, happened. I can't think of a time. Like I was going back it's, through <laughs> I was going back through my books of baseball America on my shelf and I'm like, there's gotta be an instance here that I'm gonna come across something. I couldn't come across anything from like I, I would say the two thousand eights is the best way to put it is when my books go back to. Yeah, back-to-back, uh, the Cardinals had J.D. Drew and Rick Ankeel uh, be number one prospect yeah. back-to-back years. But, I mean, these guys are the same draft class, Correct. which is even crazier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I saw someone post the aspect of, you know, this is obviously the Ravens standpoint, but it's it's similar to, like, the whole Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis thing. And it's just like, okay, let's let's, let's temper a little bit there. But Adley certainly looks good, and, and Gunnar Henderson continues to put up some 
um, pretty amazing peripherals um, in the minors going forward. So, all right, let's go over to second base. Um, and this kind of comes back to additional roster moves, and it's going to go into the category. But he's a nice guy. Um, and Orioles Twitter has been going off when the announcement was made that Brett Phillips had been acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays uh, for cash considerations. Um, and honestly, I was left a little baffled. I remember listening to your guys' podcast when you know the move was made, and it seemed like you and the rest of the crew were a little baffled too. I'm still trying to figure out what's the deal with the whole Brett Phillips move. I mean, after a few days of letting it saturate, can you explain it to me? Because I'm still having a hard time on my end. <laughs> I I cannot, but <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe there was a deal that they might have had in place that fell through maybe for Anthony Santander. That's the only guess I could have, and they just needed someone to fill in until they, as we'll talk about in a little bit, until they assumed Kyle Stowers to be ready. But, yeah, I and I also thought maybe they'll send Ryan McKenna down in his place to bring up Kyle Stowers or somebody else and use him as the fourth outfielder, but... No, to have them both on the bench, it's a little weird to me. Uh, it's It seems odd, and it's I couldn't make the determination of what the reasoning was. And again, I know Elias was talking it up and saying, well, we like him here. We, he brings a whole aspect with his defensive standpoint. And I'm like, I realize the outs above average is really nice for Brett Phillips. But I look at you know the jump, the range aspects versus McKenna, and I'm like, you know, McKenna having enough innings compared to what Brett Phillips has done this season, I'm not sure if it's that far off is the best way to put it. Um, but again, I think that it's just tough to tell. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I kind of agree with when the Brett Phillips move was happening, I was just like, something's going down with another trade. I mean, I was even wondering if it was a situation where like Hayes was rumored out there to potentially be going to the Astros, um, for your quitty. And I'm like, well, maybe there's going to be a starting pitcher coming over for Hayes. Um, and I can't imagine how Orioles Twitter would have reacted to that. I mean, <laughs> it would have been uh, napalm is the best way to put it. But I was just like, maybe, Maybe Elias pulled another deal with the Astros is the best way to put it, but um, no dice. And uh, like I said, um, I guess my question is like, if we look at Brett Phillips and like you said, if it was this standpoint where it was a, a failed trade or, or something like that, and we're looking at McKenna, we're looking at Phillips, you know, eventually there has to be kind of some roster crunch here um, or, or is there, I mean, we do have to get to September and then kind of rosters do expand slightly. It's no longer the 40 man roster, but it goes to, I think 27 um, at that point. I mean, do you think Phillips makes it to September and maybe through the rest of the season? I mean, <laughs> I don't think so, but I also didn't think they would acquire him. So it's hard for me to say because it's like him and McKenna are like the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other. Except yes. uh, McKenna is pointing with his right hand and Phillips is pointing with Absolutely. his left. <laughs> um, so I feel like one of them's going to have to go. And maybe it'll be McKenna just because he has an option uh, if they want to keep Phillips around, maybe they think, hey, there's something we can do to get him back to at least the 2021 levels of, of hitting for him because he has a good glove and a good arm, even a, a great pitcher on the mound. You know, he's got some heat. Uh, but I wish I had a better answer. All right. So we, we talked about Phillips and obviously Rogan Dodor has been another individual that has kind of been, you know, called on of being like, why is this person still on the team? You know, we want to see more Terran Varavra. Um, and, and I guess my question to you, you know, watching Terran Varver come up through the farm system um, over this past time, I mean, do you think Terran Varver should be getting more playing time than Roden Nidor right now, maybe at second base? Of course I do. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I've got to yeah. ask the obvious questions. <laughs> no, it just makes me seem smarter. <laughs> you set me up. I got to answer it. Um, yeah, you're seeing exactly what Terran Varver did in 
triple a and double a the year before that like he is a hitter he goes up there he, he's not going to walk as much as as adley does but he's gonna have good plate discipline he's gonna have great at bats he's gonna be a pesky little left-handed hitter that's gonna foul pitches off he's gonna hit mostly singles and doubles you know and then every once in a while he'll get into one and, and hit it out but and you know he's solid at second base he's solid in the outfield but he doesn't have the best arm but I think best case scenario, he's like a utility guy who can go left field, center field, second base, DH, bench roll, pinch hitter. You know, that's a valuable player on a team. And, you know, other than good vibes and uh, the occasional clutch home run, I'm not sure what Ruben Adador exactly provides. I think the team might riot if they DFA'd him at this point, but at least sit him on the bench a little more often. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he can play the mascot in the clubhouse and he can be doing the chain stuff, but... I guess my question is, like, you know, I think the the one thing that Brandon Hyde has talked about specifically is defense has definitely improved for the Baltimore Orioles this season. There's no doubt about that, um, especially in the infield. Um, and I think, you know, Hyde believes a part of that is due to Rogan and Odor and maybe some of the double plays that the Orioles have turned. I mean, do you think there's any gap there if it was a Mateo Varvara combo um, to be able to turn the double play um, accordingly with the Baltimore Orioles infield? I mean... In that specific instance, yeah, I do think Odor can turn a pretty double play. He's got a decent arm, and he, he makes that turn really quick when he's receiving, at least, at least when he's at second base on the receiving end, throwing a first. And, yeah, I mean, but I feel like Vavra's going to be more consistent. He's going to field more balls, make the routine play. He's not going to have any instance where he spikes a relay throw right. and uh, uh, makes a mistake like that. I doubt he's going to m- make mistakes on the bases the way that Odor did the other night. But, yeah, he does turn a great double play. So maybe you bring him in late innings. You know, he's, he's numbers in high leverage late inning situations are good. Right. And if he can, you know, have Vavra at second base until like the seventh inning or so, maybe that's something to think so, about. So, Bob, you just recommended that Rognard Ordor is a late inning defensive replacement going forward. So anybody that has an issue with that, send hate mail to at the Orioles report. That's saying <laughs> Rognard Ordor is a late inning defensive replacement. But. I think it's one of these situations where, like, if Elias is truly believing that this is kind of a, still a transition year and that the probability numbers don't work out, I, I kind of wonder to a certain regard, like, why is Elias not telling Brendan Hyde, hey, you need to play Varvra at second base. We want to see what he can do. Um, it just certainly seems like Brendan Hyde has a little bit more say in the matter than I would have typically expected someone in Hyde's position. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, it is interesting either that they just don't have the confidence in Vavra's ability to play second base that maybe I do, at least to the level that we would need for him to start over Odor, or maybe they're working with him behind the scenes, you know, to try to get him to that level, to get him to that point. Or maybe Elias just has a great relationship with Hyde and he wants to let him do his thing. be the manager because yeah. it's, it's working so far. So just let him do his thing until he makes a mistake. I it, don't know. It's just odd because, like, you think about this whole aspect of managers in obviously this new age era, and you think about Medell and Elias, and you think very statistically oriented, they're going to come down and basically dictate policy to him. But it certainly seems like they've been very hands off with Hyde in terms of letting him make the decisions from a managerial standpoint. Um, even bullpen management has been not what I would expect from a statistically oriented organization like the Baltimore Orioles. So, like I said, I think it's just something to keep an eye on, um, especially as the team continues to play these competitive baseball games. You start to see certain things pop out that we haven't seen in the past few years because you're playing competitive baseball. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how Hyde continues to respond to it. 
Um, I think Hyde's doing a great job, honestly. Like I said, I know there's a lot of questions. And like I said, I have a lot of concerns as it relates. I'm like, I'm not sure if I would have done that way. But you can't argue with the results. Like, he has obviously fired up the clubhouse. He's got the backing of people. Um, and, you know, it seems to be clicking all cylinders. Um, and in reality, relatively, I mean, I think overall, there's a few concerns I have about the bullpen. Um, but he's also not done the buckholes thing of like, um, you know, Showalter was like, this person pitches the ninth, this person has pitches the eighth, this person has pitches the seventh. Um, we've seen it throughout the entire season where Hyde has been willing to basically go to certain pitchers in high leverage situations and utilize them as best as possible. Um, yeah, it is interesting because, you know, in, it's even you see the frustration on Orioles Twitter where it seems like Elias will stick with the guy that the fans think, think uh, you know, like Chris Owings or Pat Valeka, where he'll stick with them. He'll keep them on the roster longer than people think they should. But I guess he's just exhausting all options and wants to make sure. Yeah. Question mark. Make sure question mark. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're talking about Adore. We're talking about Phillips and, you know, whether or not they really should have a role in this team. So let's go to third base and let's talk a little bit about if they weren't on this team right now, who should be taking their role um, at this given time? Um, and, you know, are those people, are those individuals even ready to come up to the majors at this given time? So let's start with Odor. I mean, if Odor was designated for assignment as of today, who would you want to maybe take that 25-man roster spot on the team right now to replace Rogan Odor? It is a good question because you're also thinking... You know, you want these big, sexy name prospects uh, to come up, right? Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg. But at the same time, you have Ramon Urias, you have Jorge Mateo, now Taron Vavra. Someone's going to be sitting on the bench. Someone's got to so. sit on the bench, exactly. Yeah. And, and again, you, <laughs> and don't you, want wanna, these... and you don't want to lose playing time for like a Gunnar Henderson. Like you don't want to be like, hey, we're going to bring you up and have you sit on the bench for three or four days. And then we'll play you every like every other every other day, basically. And it's just like, well, that's not what I want for Gunnar Henderson from a development standpoint. Right, exactly. So you got to balance that. I think if that was the case, I would go with Jordan Westberg right now. Okay. He he did have a very bad month of July after starting AAA like a uh, cat on fire. He was like mashing the ball tremendously in June. In July, he had a 198 batting average with a 549 OPS. But this week, he is back on track. He's got two home runs. He's taking walks again. He's He was two for four the other day. So I think he's rebounded enough that you could bring him up and play him at second and third base, you know, maybe bounce him back and forth with Ramon Urias, depending on what you want to do, and Taron Vavra, and use that DH role as well. But I think he's probably the more, you know, it's okay if he sits once every three days. Whereas Gunner, when he's up, he's got to be playing every day for the most part. He's got to be playing every day, absolutely. If you're, if you're the number one prospect in, in minor league baseball, you got to be playing every day. Um so again, let's go back to to Brett Phillips. If Brett Phillips were designated for assignment as of this moment, um, who are you bringing up right now from from the minors? I am going to bring up Kyle Stowers. I I do think he's ready. He has cut his strikeout rate from thirty four point four percent in AAA last year to twenty three point nine percent. I think uh, I was looking at the numbers earlier today. Uh, so he's cut down his strikeout rate. He's on fire lately. He's got his batting average up to two seventy three. I think his OPS is like 920, right around there. So he's leading the organization in doubles and home runs, and he walks enough. He walks over 11% of the time. He plays really good defense, better than Anthony Santander, because he's even been playing center field in AAA. So he could play there in a pinch. He probably 
just based on the roster, again, he'd probably have to sit on the bench a little bit, you know, every once in a while, just because you got Hayes, you got Mullins, you got Santander, even McKenna. And with that DH role, you know, he's not going to be playing every single day, but I do think he's good enough to come up and at least provide a better spark uh, than Mr. Phillips. Now, do you play Stowers in right field or do you play Stowers in left field at Camden Yards? It's a good question. I feel like Austin Hayes has done a great job out there in that new left field. So I probably keep him. I probably just let uh, Stowers take that Santander role where he'll play the easier of the two positions, at least, especially since he's just getting his feet wet at the major league level. But he is a good outfielder. I feel, like, he does have a I decent feel like Stowers arm. has also a decent arm compared to Hayes. Like I'm not, I'm not you know, saying Hayes has a bad arm whatsoever, but I just feel like watching Stowers play, I've been pretty impressed with the arm as well uh, from him in the outfield. So, I yeah. think I'd rather put him in right field personally and just see how he does with navigating it, especially in that corner. Um, and I'd like to see Hayes and Hayes and Mullen seem to have a good repertoire out there in left field um, with a little bit of the oddity out there from an angle standpoint. So, all right. So you would immediately designate for assignment Brett Phillips and 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 bring up Kyle Stowers. Odor, it sounds like maybe, maybe not. Like, what am I hearing here? Yeah. I think ideally I would just option Tyler Nevin back okay. to AAA, yeah. bring out Westberg, and then have Rugnet Obor be Obor Odor be the be the, the team know, mascot, yes. from the bench. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. Honestly, I think it's one of those situations where, um, you know, I, I don't think Odor deserves the playing time that he does. And again, I think this is one of those situations. Like you look at his numbers, he obviously has a negative F four. It's one of those situations where I don't want to give him more plate appearances than necessary. But I do think there are some spot opportunities where I'm going to be like, I want to pinch hit him at this point. And then when I pinch hit him, I can still shuffle him around in the infield as necessary in order to not destroy my entire defensive and, and offensive lineup. So I think there's a benefit there. And I think there, like I said, I'm not huge on Odor, but I definitely think he's worth of a bench spot is, is the best way to put it um, at this given time. Brett Phillips, I don't get. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. Um, there was someone that was trying to talk to me about saying, well, they got him for his speed. Um, and yes, I know his sprint speed is is decent. Um, but again, there's a difference between sprint speed and I think base running, you know, proficiency. And I just, I don't even see Phillips as a late inning, you know, base runner that could steal a base is the best way to put it. So um, just interesting. And like I said, it's going to be interesting with the likes of Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, um, and where they fit in. Actually, I don't even think think it's aware they fit in it's more of a question like you said where does urias and where does mateo fit in going forward um when gunner henderson and westberg come up is the best is the best way to put it yeah it will certainly be something to watch out for um all right so let's go to home plate and, and again we we talked about this a little bit you know elias discussing at the trailer in line how you know probability wise this team is not likely to make the playoffs and ever since then they've been winning uh, they've only lost one game you know since those statements were made um, you know, obviously the odds of the Baltimore Orioles making the playoffs are all over the place. I mean, if you take a look at the error bars that are being put out there right now, you know, uh, baseball reference as of today had them at 50%. I think Fangrass had them at 7% today. So Bob, if you were to give an odds, um, in terms of what you think the Orioles chances right now are to make the playoffs, what do you think it would be? I think I would put them at 15%. 15? So. I think so. I think so. Like, I think it's a little bit better than Fangraphs saying, not the 50% that baseball reference, I believe, was saying. Um, I think, you know, I believe Elias was correct when he said that, but each win they have 
you know, the probability goes up. So especially if, if these prospects can come up and make, you know, maybe not a huge impact, but at least incrementally make the team better talent wise, then maybe the probability just continues to inch up. But we have a really tough schedule here. So I would still say it's fairly unlikely that we make it, but I just love to finish with a uh, record of, of 500 or better. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that standpoint. I mean, I think you're right. Looking at the schedule. I mean, if you look at the blue Jays and yes, I know we just won two against them, but the blue Jays are a really good team. Well, let's, let's call it out as it is. We play a bunch of games against the Astros. Um, and again, we, we play a bunch against the ALE still left as well. And I, I look at the numbers and I, and I look at, you know, the aspect of we were on fire for two months and I'm like, how consistent can that be? Uh, I'm a little bit more bullish. I mean, I'm going to probably put us at the, like the 30 to 35% range. Um, I still think it comes back to the situation of if I look at the Mariners, the Mariners did a great job upgrading their roster, um, you know, going out there, getting, you know, a really nice starting pitcher to help them out to kind of get them into the playoffs for the first time in, we'll call it eternity at this point. Um, and you know, I still look at the blue Jays and I'm like, that's pretty much a guarantee in my opinion as well. Um, and then you're kind of left with the Orioles, the Rays, and then probably someone from the central. Um, and I don't know. The Rays are interesting to me. Like I'm, I'm not sold on the Rays for the rest of the season. Like I, it's the whole standpoint of like, if Wander Franco was still playing, um, and was playing for this entire season, I'd be like, it's going to be tough with Franco being out. It's kind of one of those situations where the, the Rays are a completely different team without Franco. It's almost like when you take away a person that's always going to be consistently a six-plus war player, um, it makes a difference is the best way to put it. So I don't know. Like It's one of those situations where that's kind of why I put in that 30% range. Is like I don't think we're quite as good as the Jays or the Mariners, but I think we could hold our own against the Rays and you know the Indians or the Twins, for example, um, for a wild-card spot. That's fair. And yeah, I do agree that the Rays mostly due to injuries are just not, they don't have that same mystique as they usually do around this time of year. And yeah, the AL central, I mean, it is we'd what be it is. leading I mean, the central. We'd be leading the central. There, so. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. It's, so that's fair. It, it's it, like I said, we'll have to see what happens. Like I said, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's one of those situations where typically in any season, if a team was this hot for two months in a row, I'd be like, that's not sustainable. But, um, you know, we can't overlook the fact that there's a lot of impressive things going on. Um, so one question I would have for you, Bob, is like, what is one thing right now that is impressing you um, with the Baltimore Orioles that, you know, coming into the season, you weren't expecting to see? Is the most describe. You said 73 wins. Obviously, they're playing a lot better than a 73 win team right now. What's one thing that's kind of impressed that you that you weren't expecting coming into the season? It's look, the bullpen's been great. Oh, yeah. And- no one could see that coming. That's not my answer, but it, that is impressive. And it's probably the reason that we have the record. We do a big part of it. But for me, it's the starting pitching. It's like you got what you got out of Bruce Zimmerman before he fell to pieces. John Means is hurt. Grayson Rodriguez gets hurt, but you still find a way. Tyler Wells gets hurt. You still find a way to win. You claim Austin Voth and both and people are freaking out. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, why are we, ha- why are but, we getting Austin Rose? Like, what is he doing? Like, what, like that's a wasted spot. And it's just like, well, well, let's see what happens. Like, <laughs> yeah. Spencer Watkins. Like, I mean, I love the guy. He was our first ever player guest on our podcast. So love to see it, but I man, mean, they're working magic with him. Dean Kramer comes back after last year. And I still remember well. at the very beginning of this season for the bullpen standpoint, us trading Travis Lackin senior and everyone losing their mind being like, we're going to have the worst bullpen in all of Major League Baseball after trading Travis Lackin Sr. It's like, guys, just calm down. It's, it's Travis Lackin Sr. Um, it's not going to be that big of a deal. 
Um, but yeah, like you said, I think starting pitching has been um, absolutely impressive. And I mean, I think, you know, one thing from a starting pitching standpoint um, is Jordan Lyles. I mean, Jordan Lyles, again, not super impressive, um, but again, just eats innings. Um, and again, that was the huge issue last year. Like people could not get deep into games. Um, it was the Matt Hari phenomenon is what I would call it, um, where we couldn't get past five innings. Uh, and Jordan Lyles just continues to come out there and, you know, be effective enough to get to the bullpen, get to a seventh, get to an eighth, get to a ninth. Um, and like I said, I, I don't think you can underlook what Jordan Lyles has done so far this season. Um, but yeah, the starting pitching has been amazing. I mean, I guess you obviously know about this from, you know, previous work that has been done here. But how much of a role do you think Chris Holt's playing there is the best way to put it? A huge role. I think he is like between him and Justin Ramsey and the new guy, Ryan Conway, I believe, at Double A Bowie, this, they are in tandem and Darren Holmes in the bullpen. They know what they're doing. They come from Houston Astros yep. under, I can't remember the guy's name that was the pitching coach, uh, Brent Strom, I think, yep. or something like that. Uh, they come from, you know, from there. And I think, yeah, uh, we had Zach Peak tell us personally, who is a minor league pitcher, that this guy, Chris Holt, is a genius. And, you know, we've heard from players and other coaches alike that he's like, you know, a brilliant pitching mind when it comes to development. And this is the first year where I feel like we've been able to to see it in action. I wasn't sure how the whole thing was going. Like, I, I completely agree. Like, I think I thought Chris Holt, the hiring back in the day was a great hiring. But making him the major league pitching coach, I was just like, I don't know. That seems like a, maybe a little bit of a stretch. But it's kind of hard to argue with based off of what we're seeing to date from the starting pitching. You know, there's just a completely different, you know, standpoint of how pitchers are approaching the plate um, and how they're going about it. But I agree. I think, you know, the bullpen is definitely amazing. Um, but starting pitching is nothing what we would have expected um, at the beginning of the season. I mean, even coming out of spring training, I could look at a Jorge Lopez. I could look at a Keegan Aiken. I could look at a Felix Batista and say, there's some arms here is the best way to describe it. There is no way that in April I could have expected these given results out of our, our starting pitching is the best way to put it. Um, I think the one thing that I don't know if it surprises me the most, but just impresses me the most. And it just comes back to just, you know, just coming back to prospects. Adley Rutschman has just been such a pleasure to watch. And, um, you know, I remember Machado coming up in 2012 um, and being impressed with just some of the talent and the athleticism that it has. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, from an athlete standpoint, there's definitely the, the sense of athleticism, but there's also a standpoint of like, he just understands the game and it's almost like the game slows down for him a little bit. Like he gets all the small little intangible basis, um, even as it relates to plate discipline. Um, it's just a big deal. Even the standpoint of like when he's at the plate and there's a bad call against him, he's not turning back around and looking at the umpire. He's just like, nope, I'm the catcher. I got to kind of hold my tongue here and I'll get that pitch in the future um, by con continuing to have this you know, relationship with the umpire as it relates to the entire game. So just he seems so much older um, in terms of playing the game than it actually is. And it's hard to believe this is actually his rookie season because he's playing he's playing like an all-star catcher uh, in all honesty. Um, and it's just been, it's good to see is the best way to describe it. And like I said, nothing against Matt Wieters. I think Matt Wieters had a great career. Um, but Adley looks like he's going to blow that out of the water right now. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I feel like, you know, just from the moment, his debut game, when he's soaking in the crowd and all that, you've, I feel like over the past two months, we've been able to physically watch him as the game slows down. Like every day, it just seems like it gets easier and easier for him. And it's like, 
how much better is he going to get as he continues to get adjusted to the major leagues? And let's sign this guy to an eight-year extension like as soon as possible, please. Absolutely. I mean, that should be one of Elias's first moves is just basically say, I've seen enough. This guy gets an eight-year contract, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just look at it and, you know, I think one thing that people could kind of hold a, a gripe to is like looking at Adley and saying, well, he hasn't hit many home runs is the best way to put it. But you just look at the doubles that he's putting out there and you're just like, he is so close to putting it all together. Um, he is like really, really good right now from an on-base percentage and from an extra base hit standpoint. If he starts hitting home runs, he's an MVP candidate is the best way to put it. And it's just really impressive um, to see him doing it. And like I said, it's really impressive to see him interacting um, with the pitchers, calming them down. Even that last game where Batista was, you know, floundering a little bit, going out to the mountain multiple times and just talking to him, just calming him down a little bit. Um, just really well put together. And like I said, it's been a, a great to see, you know, again, that farm system delivering what we were expecting it to do. So, yeah. And I do think that power is coming because you see, he does not get cheated. No, he doesn't he's get cheated. See, he, he gives it his all. He, he's taking real, real big boy hacks up there. And you, it's hard to. You can take a look at the swings and you can take a look at the exobosity and know he's really close. I mean, it's, it's, it's very close. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to measure the effect that his framing, pitch calling, just, you know, relationship with the pitchers, how much of an impact that has. But it, it's definitely more than zero. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, I think we've gone around the bases enough. Um, let's go ahead and do some good, some bad and some ugly. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to kick it off this week from, from a good, bad, and the ugly standpoint. So my good for this past week, um, I'm actually going to go ahead and give it to Anthony Santander. I think he's been really doing well, actually, coming off the trade deadline. Um, you know, over the past 14 days, three home runs, uh, nine RBIs, 396 average, 442 on base percentage, a 222 weighted runs creative plus. Um, you know, Santander was in a really awkward situation coming out of that trade online and he's responded really well to it. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, Santander, you know, maybe doesn't have the, the game breaking moments in terms of, you know, putting the team ahead, but getting on base and continuing to be at, you know, the heart of that order, um, has been really important. So Santander gets my, my good for the week. That's that's a good call. I'm going to cheat a little bit and do two goods. Um, one is Grayson Rodriguez is pitching off of a mound. Yes, end. absolutely great. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can get back to pitching in real games by September. And who knows from there. But my other good is going to be uh, Ryan Blake has a video on Twitter at Orioles probs, fan probs. <laughs> I forget exactly what it is, but uh Get a video with uh, the Odor home run where the crowd goes wild, the the players are loving it, and then he pans over to Michael Ice and Sig Mydell just, you know, in the thick of it with the crowd, loving life, smiling, clapping. So just good to see those guys be human and show that they actually do care about the results on the field, unlike some fans have uh, have speculated. And, you know, Elias, he there was another tweet thread I saw where two ladies from Orioles Twitter were sitting with him for an inning and they had good things to say about him. He 
I liked how he traveled to the team in Texas to explain the moves directly to them. I liked that he was in AAA Norfolk today, scouting those games out. I just like to see him all over the place, making his presence known in a positive way. All right, going to bad. My bad is going to go to Brian Baker. And the reason why Brian Baker is not going to end up in my ugly category is Brian Baker has been really good over the past few months. So, I mean, I know people have, you know, focused on other relief pitchers um, as of lately in terms of being so good. But overall, like Brian Baker has been a really good, solid aspect of bullpen. But over the past two weeks, you know, he has struggled a little bit over five games, um, posting a 6.75 case per nine. More importantly, 16.88 walks per nine. So obviously command issues um, and, and just seeing some issues. He's going to get back together again, but it's impacting a little bit with the ERA and, and, and the XFIP standpoint. Um, but again, I just think this is just a little bit of a command blip. Um, I think, you know, Brian Baker still has a great role going forward for this organization um, and in this bullpen, you know, maybe not in the eighth or ninth spot, but definitely in a six or seven spot. Um, and that's very important um, for a team, uh, especially as they're a playoff team and as they kind of have these back to back games for so many times. Yeah, I I do like that his velocity has just continued to increase throughout the season. I think he was touching 99, the 99 last time, even though yep. he did blow the game but yeah you know it's at least a good sign that maybe they have more to work with there and it is his first full major league season at the same time easy to forget but that's a good call my bad is going to go to ramon arias who over the last two weeks has a 143 batting average and 455 ops and that is after bursting onto the scene after coming off the injured list and just like carrying the team for a little bit so we'll cut him some slack but it's still not the best production from uh, one of your starting infielders. Yeah, he's had some really ugly at-bats as well. Like, I know he had the home run, and that was a big home run, but a lot of ugly at-bats outside that home run. Um, he was he was tempted to be my bad as well, but like I said, I just wanted to call out Brian Baker and maybe not throw him too much to the Wolves, is the best way to put it. Um, so my ugly for the week, you know, I think it's got to come back to what we have seen. There has just been this massive hostility on Orioles' Twitter um, of, like we like Bob was mentioning, you either have the Elias stands or you have the Elias haters and everyone seems to be at one's throat um, on this given situation. And look, I understand it's a very stressful time as it were like no one thought the Orioles were going to be this good. Yes. The Orioles are as of starting tonight's game in a playoff spot. Um, but the fact of the matter is folks, we've got a lot of seasons ahead of us of really good Orioles baseball. We can't be losing our mind at the very beginning of the process. This is going to be a marathon we need to enjoy the ride, as it were, and not infight on the basis. I think I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Don't be a Yankees fan. Enjoy being an Orioles fan. Um, and like I said, the Orioles organization is not perfect whatsoever. Um, but like I said, you can't fault what you're seeing on the field. Just enjoy what you're seeing on the field. Don't worry about the off-field antics, is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's a good call. And when's the last time you heard Michael I say, Stuff like blue skies ahead. It's lift off from here. We're going to be signing veteran, like legitimate players <laughs> this offseason. So, yeah, let's just enjoy what's happening and it's going to get better from here. For my ugly, give me head. And I'm talking about Lewis head <laughs> because that's an unfortunate name that is going to lead to a lot of, uh, you know, inappropriate jokes. And, and I'll probably be one of them making them. But uh, he did pitch pretty well in his first appearance for the Orioles and who knows how long we'll be here but yeah give me head I, I will say we didn't talk about this so much during the whole Jorge Lopez standpoint but 
Jorge Lopez um, being traded to the Twins did open up, I think, a permanent spot for Nick Vespi. And I think that's something that I'm glad to see. Because, again, I think we've seen Nick Vespi um, suffer the consequences of the Norfolk shuttle, um, is the best way to describe it. I'm looking forward to seeing Nick Vespi in a more consistent role at the bullpen for the rest of the season. Um, I know you followed him from a prospecting standpoint. There's a lot to like with Vespi, in my opinion, um, in, in terms of seeing how he does. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see, you know, he barely touches 90. Yep. But from the left side, he has some great slider action. And I think it's hard for hitters, especially lefties, to, to see. And I think he's he's got a legitimate shot to be like Paul Fry, <laughs> extra large Paul Fry. Extra large Paul Fry, exactly. <laughs> but again, it kind of balances it out. I mean, if you're thinking about like a Nick Vespi, um, and then you're thinking about the standpoint of like a Felix Batista and then even pairing it with like a Dylan Tate. I mean, there's a lot to like in terms of kind of that balancing out the velocity and even arm mechanics aspects of it, too. So I like what the Orioles are doing. I think Vespi definitely has a role um, in the bullpen. It's certainly not, you know, maybe a high leverage situation role. Um, but Vespi is an interesting one. I'm looking forward to seeing some innings come out of him for the rest of the season. All right. Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and uh, kind of close this whole thing out and uh, let's go ahead and blow the save. Speaking of giving head. <laughs> All right. So uh, blowing the save uh, for this week. Um, yeah. For folks that don't know, you know, Jake is on vacation this week, um, specifically in, in Nashville. And no, folks, Jake is not moving to Nashville because the Baltimore Orioles are in Nashville. <laughs> um, you know, he is going out there. He's going to partake in some uh, experiences out there. Um, Jake is a very big fan of, uh, of Nashville as a whole. But I also just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to to Matt Taylor. Uh, Matt Taylor Roar from 34 is a Nashville native. And uh, when me and my wife went out to Nashville last time, um, you know, Matt was more than accommodating to meet with us, have some conversations with us, make some recommendations. Um, and like I said, I really appreciate that. And I hope, Jake, if you're listening to this, that you are enjoying your time in Nashville. Uh, please try to keep the Michelob Ultras to a minimum um, and enjoy the Orioles baseball as much as you can watch it. And that... That is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog, indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is also available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. And please, come and get social with us. You can uh, reach out to us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, let us know. Also, make sure that you're following BSL on The Verge. It is a great podcast. It's one that I listen to all the time. Also, uh, BSL on The Verge has an excellent Patreon program. Um, I am a, always an advocate for, again, supporting local media. Please give them some money. Like I said, they uh, put out a great service. Um, and like I said, it is a, a great aspect to kind of be part of the Discord uh, and everything like that, too. So please... Uh, give them a follow um, and, and a subscription as well. Um, and also, Bob, thanks so much again for joining. Again, if you want to follow what Bob is talking about or give him a hassle for anything that he said on this episode, you can follow him at The Orioles Report. Um, and like I said, he is constantly on Twitter and, and constantly showing up on BSL on The Verge. So really appreciate you stopping by tonight, Bob. 
Thank you so much. I had a blast. It's always fun to get to talk more about the Major League team than just the minor league team. We actually talked about maybe we should do a Major League spinoff since we're expecting to be good next year. I like it. I like the idea. So um, I think we would all listen to that. You're going to have to come up with a really clever title, though, after. I know. I was thinking about that. Like, over the edge? I don't know. On the verge, over the edge? Over the edge, it describes Orioles Twitter to a T. So, um, (laughs) and and with that, um, I'm going to say good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. And we bid you a fond. I do, I do. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.